Welcome to That's Awesome ID. My name is Leslie Early, and each week I will be speaking with a different guest and learning about one thing they think is awesome in the field of instructional design. Okay, today I am joined by Sarah Johnston. Sarah is the co-founder at Motive.io, and she came to Motive actually with a background in teaching, like many of our listeners, and also a background in UX design, which I think is kind of going to kind of lead our conversation today. So thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, yes, I'm super excited about this topic. The first time I heard about you or heard from you, you were on Amy Patricek's podcast, Share What You Learn. You were talking about VR over there, but you mentioned that you had a background in uh, UX design. And so I'm thinking, oh, that's really interesting, that intersection of UX and VR. So that's kind of what we'll be talking about today. But before we kind of dive into that, do you want to take a moment and kind of introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. So, as you mentioned, I'm Sarah, I, uh, one of the co-founders at Motive.io. I actually joined the company um, after a stint um, as a teacher, and I did love being a teacher um, and have, am endlessly fascinated by the way people learn, small people and big people. You know, it's it's always been a passion of mine. After I had my own kids, I, you know, sort of retrained in, in something else that's always been really interesting to me, which is uh, UX design. And so I actually joined uh, the company in its infancy to do 2D UX design of mm. our software that we sell. But as you know, the company grew and evolved, I've become very much more involved in the day-to-day creation of our VR training that we create for people. And it's been a very interesting journey to sort of not only apply my um, interest in and passion for the way people learn effectively, but also, you know, all of the kind of skills and, and disciplines that I learned in designing good user experiences, you know, the, the sort of marriage of the two has been somewhat serendipitous al- almost, but, but very, um, you know, interesting and, and an exciting career journey for me, for sure. Yeah. So really what we're here for is to kind of talk about how VR is such a new, I mean, it's new in general. I mean, I guess the the definition of new is kind of relative, but, you know, relatively new, especially like for the mass market. Um, And also as a a modality for learning and, and, and training and teaching, it's really new. So there really aren't a lot of, or at least that I am aware of there there's not a lot of design conventions or you know um what is the best way to set this up so that you know it's it's most useful to the learner or helps with retention or whatever the case may be so i'm assuming there are a lot of ux pitfalls that people can fall into just because it's so new there's not a lot of reference materials you know to look at and say oh this is the best way to do it so um i'm curious you know just starting from the beginning, if you were speaking to someone who knows nothing about designing for an, for VR, for any sort of XR experience, what would the first piece of advice to be advice be from you for how to consider some of these things in UX design? Yeah, I would say that, you know, it, it seems obvious if you can you know, sort of sit down and, and think through it. But I would say that the, the, 
primary consideration when you're designing a learning experience for VR or you know, XR in general, is to remember that you have 360 degrees of world at your fingertips to use. And I've seen um, a lot of instances of VR experiences designed very much from sort of a 2D bias. So people will create a really lovely 2D learning experience and then plunk the person into 3D and basically they're sitting in a in a VR environment, but looking at a slideshow. Yeah. And so (laughs) I think it's, it's really important to remember and, and, you know, sort of stay disciplined about the fact that you do have stuff behind you and stuff beside you. And beyond that, you also have things that you can interact with and stuff that if, if the, you know, experience is designed well, will, react to your input and, you know, you'll get all kinds of visual feedback and auditory feedback. And, you know, if you make a mistake, um, the, the consequences of that mistake can be visceral and real. And that is where the real power of VR as a medium and, you know, especially as a learning medium comes into play. And so as painstaking as it can sometimes be, it is very important to think through and imagine the entire interactive 360 degree experience. I am not experienced in creating, you know, sort of hands-on training. I've never trained an employee on the factory floor or anything like that to uh, train people like that. But I imagine that, you know, sort of the steps that you would take somebody through if they were job shadowing you or something like that is probably more aligned with how you should think through designing a three a, a VR experience than how you might approach, you know, a, an e-learning module, for instance. Right. Cause it, um, yeah, just that puts it into perspective a little bit of like, if you were trying to train someone, you probably maybe do a little bit of direct instruction, like explaining, this is the thing, this is what it does. And now you try. Exactly. And like coming back to that. And now you try. And now you try over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. That is not necessarily how you would structure an e learning, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I guess that is to your point of you don't want to design something like an e learning and then just put someone in 3D and, and ask them to go through a very similar experience. But I'm wondering if there are some things that do overlap. So, what is something? you know, what, what's the Venn diagram? What, what are good practices that, that work for VR and also maybe would work in an e-learning environment? Yeah. And, and the good news is I think there absolutely is a lot of overlap and, um, I don't, I don't think it takes a lot of leaps and bounds to go from being, you know, primarily a, a, an instructional designer who designs e-learning to somebody who could design really effective VR experiences. Um, and I think that the, the biggest source of information and, and kind of expertise that um, instructional designers can draw from is the amount of sort of thought and planning that goes mm-hmm. into the training itself to sort of, you know, sit back and think, what are the goals for this training? What is the business need here? Why am I designing this training? Why is it needed? What are people missing out on? And, or what are people not following? What, what's the end goal? Mm-hmm. And when, when training is well designed, 
you know, those are the questions that we should keep at the forefront, regardless of of the medium. Um, you know, back in my teaching days, we we referred to understanding by design, which was this right. whole teaching design principle on on keeping the end in mind and what and what the goals were, and even starting off classes by looking at those those end goals. And then when I switched over to sort of learning more about instructional design, I kind of took a deep dive on on the action mapping method methodology, mm-hmm. which you know, translates extremely well to designing for VR because it's kind of like, let's let's cut out the stuff that we don't need, the kind of fluff and really look at what are the problems I'm trying to solve? What are the skills that my, you know, employees need to learn in order to be able to be more successful at, at the job? And I think a lot of really great instructional designers already do that really well. Mm-hmm. And once you've put that framework in place, then the scenario sort of emerges on its own in terms of, okay, this is what we need to focus on in VR, just like it does when you're designing e-learning. So I I would say that's the biggest kind of, and, and I think in my mind, one of the most important pieces of instructional design. And so if you've got that, you're like 75% of the way there. Yeah. Yeah. I think if someone's already pretty good at scenario-based design, I suppose that would be the easiest transition, it seems like, yes. um, into, yeah, this type of this type of training. So so the, those are the things that overlap. But, you know, on the opposite side of that question is what are the things that are totally and completely different? You know, I obviously one is in 3D and one <laughs> is not. Um, but, you know, to you, what are other the other like big main key differences that people should consider? Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, we alluded it to it a little bit in, in that um, first question, sort of, you know, what's the first thing you, you should think about? And, and it's, it comes back to that, you know, what is your medium? And I think you really have to remind yourself to show and not tell as much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whereas when you're designing e-learning, obviously text is your friend mm-hmm. um, and, and you can, you can lean on a couple of pages of, of text to give context to something. Whereas when you are designing for VR, you really want to use text as kind of the last source of information for people only because if you've ever been in a, a VR headset, it's not, I mean, you know, the visuals are phenomenal, but reading when you have one of those on is not comfortable. Right. Um, and so, you know, you have to start thinking through how can I give instruction and feedback using the medium I have. So, you know, lots of auditory input, obviously lots of visual input, as I was alluding to before, you know, if somebody takes an action on something, the consequence should make sense in the physical world, because, you know, you, you can do that. It's, it's kind of exciting, but also a little bit daunting all at once. How do I show this without just saying, here's how you do it. Step one, two, three, four, and five. And, you know, we, we rely on bringing characters into the scene who act as guides, who can kind of, you know, be there showing you and teaching you. We also do still use a lot of video, um, just nice little quick short snippets of video that sort of show the action that you should be taking mm. animations. Um, but, you know, highly visual and, and auditory input is definitely more effective than, than text. So I would say, you know, that that's kind of the biggest um, difference. Yeah. And I guess because you're trying to replicate that 
in-person trainer, right? And the in-person trainer is, you know, if you can, if you can make a, a, a digital version of that, why not? Why not yeah. have a character come in and be like, I'm Jim and I'm going yeah. to show you how to do this thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So what about, you know, we're sort of talking about very generically, you know, these are, these are the things to consider. These are the things that are similar and different, but like, if you have a very specific, you know, based on your experience um, of working through this process, if you have very specific examples of certain things to maybe that newcomers might, you know, some traps they might fall into, yeah. What what tips do you have? I feel like you've probably got some good ones. Oh, for sure. And and you know, this doesn't come from a place of judgment, but rather having been there. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's um I, I think one of the biggest traps that we see when we're working with with customers, especially who are really excited because they're taking on this journey for the first time. And they, and they obviously, everybody wants the experience to be a successful one and a meaningful one for their learners, but also really cool. I mean, you know, that, that is a factor that we can't ignore. And I think people can tend to get very bogged down in wanting to recreate absolutely every last stage and interaction and and kind of every moment of the experience they want to be you know sort of interactive and so a really good example is um, you know, I have to go from room A to room B. And, you, you know, we've seen people get bogged down on details like, well, how am I going to get them to open the door? How's yeah. the door handle going to work? What would the <laughs> controller do to, to turn the door handle so that I can push it and open it? And, and at that moment, you know, you sort of have lost the plot. And it's really important to come back and think, does this person know how to open a door? Chances are, yes. And so <laughs> instead of focusing on how do I work opening the door into the training, I just put, you know, a, a sign up on the door. I can click it. I'm through the door. The trainee never thinks about it. You know, mm -hmm. they don't stop to go, wait a minute. I didn't turn the door handle. Right. <laughs> and, you know, they're engaged meaningfully in what the training is actually about, you know, using this piece of equipment, having this difficult conversation. And they've never even thought about whether or not they opened the door. And so it's something that we have to remain super disciplined about, even now after, you know, having sort of three or four years of creating these experiences under our belts, you know, it can be very tempting to try to emulate every last thing. But the question that we always lead with is, is it likely that this person knows how to do it? Is it a goal of the training? If not, we tend to leave it. Sometimes we might, if, if, you know, given time and budget, we might circle back and say, let's put that interaction in there because I think it would be kind of cool. But it would really only be for sort of polish at that point because you know, you've got to remain super disciplined on what am I trying to teach? Let's nail those you know, 10 interactions, and then maybe we fill in. But obviously, oftentimes we don't because it can also lead to a really frustrating experience for the user if you're saying, oh no, you've got to push buttons five, six, and seven and twist your mm -hmm. wrist in just this way. And then you can have, you know, this experience. And they're like, well, that was, I was completely removed from the actual learning because I was 
trying to figure out how to do VR. And that's mm. the last thing that we want is people to be like, well, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to interact in here because you've made it too complex. You know, you want to see people take to it in a matter of minutes so that they're moving naturally through the experience how they would in real life. Yeah, it's funny. Listening to you talk, it makes me think about like other forms of media, which is meant for consumption, which I think maybe VR is closer to than like an e-learning where, you know, in, in game design, what you're describing, like no one would be phased at all in game design if your character doesn't actually go through the door and just like hits an X button and is automatically in the next room, you know, like that's not surprising at all. Or um, even in like writing a story, good dialogue doesn't look like real speech at all. It's an incredibly abbreviated version of real speech, you know, and if we had to read a whole page of real speech, like, oh my God, how boring, but... <laughs> It's true. It's true. Or, uh, on TV shows, you know, nobody says goodbye on the phone. Everyone just says what they need to say to get the information out and then just like hangs up. Like that's so not natural, but like, yeah, but, <laughs> but we everybody it. does it. Yeah. Yeah. We mm -hmm. accept it. So it's, it's, it's funny. So I think that is uh, really a good convention that we should keep in mind and maybe borrow. Yeah. From other, other forms of media. That's a big trap to avoid is making it maybe too realistic, hyper-realistic. Um, are there any other like big lessons that you've learned as you, you know, you've been working through this design process that you could share with us? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, apart from everything that we've talked about, which has all been brand new for me, I didn't, I didn't, you know, enter into this world, any kind of VR guru had actually never put on a headset before I joined, you know, we sort of formed this company. Um, but I would say that the biggest thing and, and definitely still the, the biggest struggle for me is to test, <laughs> test mm. your scenarios and your, your, um, solution early and often with people who are not aware of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. It's very humbling to watch people go through what I think is a really well-designed scenario because I've gone through it 75 times yeah. and see all of the places where the user experience is still really rough. I've never built something and put an uninitiated person through it for, for the first time and have them breeze through it. Um, it's a very cringeworthy experience, <laughs> but so, so necessary. And I, you know, with every project that I take on, I am trying, you know, I've got a family, so I'll put the headset on my husband or I'll put the headset on my son and say, try this. You know, I'm not going to say anything, even though I almost always end up helping them um, right. because I can't stand it. But it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, just watching somebody go through it without any guidance from me is probably the best way to rapidly improve what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we've just brought on a new employee and she's, we've been working together on a scenario. And I said, put your mom in here, uh -huh. see what she thinks. <laughs> and she came back and she said, oh my gosh, <laughs> I have to fix X, Y, and Z. And it's like, yeah, I, you know, and none, neither of us would have known because we were, you know, working in tandem and, and, you know, both having not only built it, but been through it probably hundreds of times at that point become second nature. So, you know, and, and I'm sure just like user testing a, a 2D UI is, is super important. Every experience um, that we build 
we try to test as as robustly as possible with uninitiated people to to make sure it's a seamless experience for that learner when they do put the headset on. It sounds like Motive has to put um, some family members on the payroll <laughs> as your yes. as your beta tester group. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, this has been very enlightening. I I really appreciate hearing some of your perspective on this because, like I said, there's really not a lot of information or resources really out there that you know is easily. Uh, findable about this type of stuff. So thank you for coming and and sharing some of your insights. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was my, it was my pleasure. And, and as I, I, I gave these guys a shout out when uh, I was on Amy's podcast and they're not a, a learning company at all, but Alchemy Labs, and I have trouble saying their name, but it is the bird, a OWL. Some of their their games are very um, simplistic in the way they look, but the user experience of them is second to none. And it's where we borrow a lot of our ideas for interactions. Mm. So if somebody is, you know, really considering trying out VR, I would I would recommend looking at their vacation simulator and job simulator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) and just if you kind of take a step back and look at it from a, a user experience perspective, it is unbelievable how easy they've made everything Uh and how accomplished you can feel in there because of what you can do with you know with very little onboarding so that's just a little plug for for them and just when people are looking for resources put on a headset and try that I mean it's it's not going to inform you from a learning perspective but your audience sort of knows that so let's you know play a little and, and kind of imagine how the two can can meld I love that. So if people wanted to, you know, continue the conversation, what's a good way to connect with you? I think email is probably easiest. I'm on LinkedIn. Please feel free to to connect with me there as well. Um, But yeah, my email is, we're still a small enough company that my email is sarah at motive.io. Yeah. And I'm I'm always happy to chat, grab a virtual coffee and, and kind of dig in and and answer any any questions or bounce ideas off of each other it's like my favorite thing so wonderful well thank you again so much for joining me it's been lovely chatting with you yes you as well